Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Style That Binds Us podcast. We are very excited to have Jane Winchester on our podcast today. Jane worked in the fashion industry for 20 years, working in PR at Calvin Klein Cosmetics, Barney's, where I worked as well, and Lily Pulitzer. And I actually even worked at a Lily Pulitzer store during college when I decided that I wanted to work in the fashion industry. So we have a lot of similarities there before launching her eponymous jewelry line at 45. And similarity again, because mom started her styling business after 50. We recently met Jane during a virtual multi-brand trunk show that we did, and she was one of the participating brands. We immediately fell in love with her story and pieces, and we cannot wait to tell you all about them. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy that we met, and I feel like I've become the biggest fan of this <laughs> Same. I know. Same. <laughs> that is, it is totally reciprocated there. Shall we start by walking us through your career path? Yes, um, I would love to. I've kind of been an East Coast gypsy, so born in New England, um, raised in Georgia, sent to boarding school in Massachusetts, college back in Florida, and then immediately moved to New York City where you know, I had been an art history major and interned at Christie's and was set to work at a gallery. And all of a sudden I thought, nope, I'm going to go into fashion and got my first job at Calvin Klein Cosmetics, which was spectacular. Um, my boss was a woman named Jan Sharkansky, who's now the CEO of J. Crew. Uh, so I learned about branding from her. It was an incredible experience. And I loved beauty, but I did get a call. I, I became friends with a few editors, and my friend Sarah Brown, who was at Elle magazine at the time, called and said, the PR gal at Barney's just left. You have to go over there immediately. I've told them you're coming. Wow! <laughs> so I did. I literally hopped in a taxi and, you know... <laughs> Calvin Klein was in the Trump building in New York and, you know, the Barney's corporate offices, they were right by the Diamond District. Were that, was that the same when you were there? It was, yes. Okay, so I went straight down, interviewed, got the job, loved it, um, just again from a branding experience and understanding, you know, fashion. Barney's had such a vision for, you know, their take on fashion and launching new designers. So that was an incredible experience there. And while I was there, I met, I had a meeting with an editor named Polly Mellon. She was very famous. And she came in, she was carrying an L.L. Bean bag with her monogram on it. And I was carrying an L.L. Bean bag with a monogram on it. And I thought, I'm going to make preppy tote bags and charge a, a bundle for them and sell them at Barney's. And I did that. I, I quit my job. I found someone to produce accessories in New York. And because I'd been in PR and a lot of my friends were editors, we got a lot of great press coverage and I moved production overseas quickly. We ended up in Barney's Bergdorf Spendles. And for about seven years, I had that company, which was called Buzz by Jane Fox and um, loved it, had two kids in the city. And then one day about I don't know, it was probably eight years into Jane Fox, I got a call from Lily Pulitzer. And they said, 
Your bags are in all of our stores. We would love for you to come design accessories for Lily. And I had been in the city for a long time with, you know, a young family and was kind of ready to move to the suburbs. So they moved me to the main line in Pennsylvania. And I started with Lily in 2006, launching jewelry, uh, bags, and shoes, which was so, I mean, a dream because I'd worn Lily my whole life. Um, and I did that. I was at Lily for 12 years. Until two years ago, I launched the, my jewelry line, Jane Winchester. Oh, it's just been two years. Yes, we're ba- I mean, we're babies. And so um, that was such a big move. But again, you know, I had been at Lily for a long time and done so much there from just accessories to managing and directing the print team and choosing all the colors. Can you imagine? I mean, it was the most fun job to choose the colors at Lily Pulitzer. (laughs) Um, And then I ended up as a senior vice president of marketing, which was also such a fabulous and fun experience because the company was kind of transitioning from selling predominantly wholesale to all of those fabulous cute boutiques like what you worked in to having their own store. So I got to design stores and launching their website. And I got to, you know, market everything on the website, which was, I mean, it was just really fun. And when I was there, I really, I laughed all day. It was a hoot. <laughs> That's not many people say that about <laughs> <your> job. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, did it was you- actually one of the harder things when I started my company, I went from working at a company with about, you know, 400 fabulous women and a team of 40 that we, you know, had fun every day. And then all of a sudden, you know, at 45, as you mentioned, I had my own business and I was by myself. I mean, you know, you start from scratch and you don't have a lot of employees. And so I was a little lonely at first (laughs) because I was, it was just such a big transition. But now luckily two years later, we do have fun employees I laugh with them and the customers keep me on my toes all the time. Oh my goodness. Well, that, they, our audience keeps us on our toes as well, which is very important because that means that they are engaged. So a lot of our listeners, some of them are entrepreneurs themselves. So before mom asks her next question, I was wondering, do you have any tips on how to not feel lonely when you well, are an entrepreneur? Oh my gosh. That's such a good question. You know, I, Before I started the business, I worked with a life coach to kind of help me figure out, I knew I wanted to have my own business again, Okay, but wasn't, you know, exactly sure. Did I want to build a $10 million business? Did I want to build, you know, a $60 million business that we then sold? So he helped me frame some of that stuff out. And in doing that, we talked a lot about having advisors to the brand. So as you start out, you obviously can't afford, you know, someone to do the accounting. You do it yourself and you can't afford probably at first to someone for someone to handle the social media. But through your contacts, you find experts in each of those fields that you use to bounce ideas off of. And that for me was very helpful and that I kind of had this imaginary board where I knew the woman that I worked with named Emily, who was the controller, could help me figure out this group of things. And I would touch base with her, you know, kind of every two weeks. And I 
knew that the gal that I, that was at L and then at Vogue could kind of help me navigate the PR field. So I touched base with her every couple of weeks. So I almost created my own, they weren't employees by any means, but they were my advisors that, you know, I spoke to all the time and they felt invested and still do in the success of the brand. That's great. That's incredible. And then so Sarah Brown, she is a contributing editor in beauty for Business of Fashion and Vogue. Is that correct? That is, yes. Okay, okay good. I wanted to clarify that in case any of our audience didn't, hadn't heard of her before. Yeah. And she's the wittiest writer. Um, I'm, I remember when I said to her, I'm going to start this company. And we went out and had, you know, a million cocktails and a very expensive dinner in New York City and started drawing the logo and you know, dreaming of what it would be with that group of people that you trust, I just think is, you know, you've got to have people around you that believe in what you do. And you, you don't have to, I don't have to trust Sarah on the accounting side of things, but from a stylistic point of view and, you know, where the brand sits in the market, she gives the best advice. So you really have to figure out who your point people are for those different things. That's great. That's great to think about the point people. Um, and it is, it has been interesting to me when we are out and about and, and someone will say they love listening to the podcast because they are a designer and they're, you know, you don't, in so many fields, you're not t totally comfortable asking your peers, how are you doing this? How is that working for you? You know, because, you, you know, everybody kind of wants to carry, hold everything close to their chest. So I was touched by the fact that these young designers were saying to us, we come to the podcast, you know, to hear how other people are doing things so that, uh, you know, we can learn. Oh, so, hundred percent. And it's so funny, even during this pandemic, I mean, podcasts are everything. I think everybody's very engaged and people are sharing. So during the pandemic, our office obviously had to close. We couldn't have people coming in mm -hmm. to ship and pack things. So I went in and packed every single order as our business quadruple during this crazy time. Right. <laughs> alone in our office sure, sure. And packing and writing notes and tying the bows on every single order and what did I did the, do the entire time I listened to podcasts Wait. and I listened to how other brands were dealing through this time and it made me feel not alone like we were all doing it yes that makes so yeah. much sense it's been fascinating to talk to people about their experience during COVID how they yeah. did it well, I wanted to ask you if you knew, did you always know you wanted to start your own company? Oh my gosh, no. I have been one of those people that has been so lucky. I swear I fall into the greatest things. I'm very, I'm knocking on wood right now. I So the first time when I started Jane Fox, it was literally on a whim. I was married to my first husband at the time. I can't believe he let me do it. I hadn't, I, I was just getting married. I was... 27, you know, I just literally had no idea what I was doing, but I had an idea in my head. And so I learned in the field and that was good, but I really lacked the business brain at that 
age and time. Mm -hmm. Then going to work at Lilly was just such an amazing compliment to my entrepreneurial spirit because they took the time and really invested in me. It's just, I could not speak more highly of that company in general and really trained me on how to write. You know, we wrote a business plan for our division of accessories and we did that every year, a one-year plan, a three-year plan and a five-year plan. And so I learned to balance out, you know, the love of design with actually, you know, mapping out what the business, should do and how it was going to get to a certain sales goal and margin goal. So once I had been there 12 years, I knew I wanted to start a company again and I felt much more equipped to do it because, you know, I have design ideas all the time and I've always painted and drawn and, you know, the artistry of creating comes very naturally to me, but I had learned the business side of things. So it's been amazing to put that into practice. So did I, did I plan any of it? No. Did it work out? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. That's so awesome. So, so I'm, I think it's so cool that you were 27 and the, and the Barney's team said, sure, we'll take the bags. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I went and I, I'm sure you've been in New York city. You'll remember the giant needle and thread mm-hmm. that's so there's an information booth right there and at the time so again one million years ago it was truly an information booth and I walked in I saw that it said information and I said I need someone to make bags and they printed out a list of local you know in the design district manufacturers and I started knocking on their door the design that I had was with a heavy canvas and so a lot of the accessory sewers couldn't do it because it was kind of too thick and I wanted to make these cool tennis racket covers but then I found this guy that was making holsters for the New York City Police Department which was very similar to kind of the structure of the tennis racket covers that I wanted to make so he made the first set of samples I sold them to Barney's I produced them with this guy and literally I remember looking at them at the shelves in Barney's and seeing that the straps were just all gonna fall off. It, it, it was just a disaster of production. But again, because I had so many friends that were editors, we got a ton of press coverage. So literally right away, a company called Wathney that I don't think exists anymore contacted me and said, we'd love to make your bags for you. The production will be overseas. And that really helped catapult us so that we had the quality Um, Now, there were a ton of things that didn't work out with that as well, because when you produce overseas, your quantities are higher. And so we ended up a little suffocated with inventory. And that's something you'll hear designers talk about a lot right now, especially during COVID on how to make sure all of your dollars aren't tied up in inventory that's sitting there. And that's kind of what happened to me. But it also allowed me to go into 100 boutiques, you know, and, and kind of push it out so that we were, you know, in every one of the 50 states in the cool stores so that it really led to Lily calling me. So mm. while it didn't work out perfectly, it led to the next step that was fabulous. 
Yes. Oh my goodness. And that is such a great reminder, which I try to tell our audience all the time to be open and kind of looking for opportunities as they come because sometimes you, you're asking for something, you're thinking about something and it comes and you might not pay attention to it because <laughs> you're waiting on something else or whatever. So that is lovely. And I also wanted to mention that Jane is a Kappa and mom and I are too. <laughs> and this story is fascinating about how you decide you want to do something and you do it and you have hustle and all the things. So it is lovely to hear. And it is great that you had exposure to the business side of things mm -hmm. and also that you have been used to having a vision so your collection and brand can be very cohesive and your brand can be successful because a lot of times with my consulting clients they're either all over the place in terms of aesthetic or creative people they don't really like to focus on the business part they just want to design but you can't have a company without the business side so it's really nice that you are taking all of this fabulous experience and creating this brand at this moment in time. Oh my gosh. I mean, there's so much to unwrap in what you just said <laughs> because it's all so true and, and really is the key to the success that I feel just as a person. I mean, of course we want our businesses to be a financial success and we're on a great track right now, but I think personally, like kind of to start from the beginning, having my first business, I mean, that was really hard. And I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to plan. Right. But I was very open to the next step. And so that led me to Lily, which taught me that business side of things. And what I learned really then was a roadmap for me is essential. So as I said, I worked with this life coach and he said, well, what do you want your life to look like in 10 years? And, you know, that's a great question. Do you want to be running, you know, a giant company with, or I don't know, do you want to run a company with 10 employees or a hundred employees? How hands-on do you want to be, you know, and what, how much time do you want to be spending with your kids and your husband? Where do you want to live? Do you want to be able to spend summers you know, by the lake, or are you going to be in an office every single day? I think asking myself those questions so that personally I had a little roadmap then helped me. It really kind of clicked in with building a business plan for Jane Winchester because I knew that I wanted to live my life a certain way. I have five kids. I want to spend time with them. I adore my husband. I want to spend tons of time with him. I know I need the balance of being out of the office to fuel the creativity. So that helped me shape what Jane Winchester would look like from a business side. Now, aesthetically, I also learned at Lily, you know, you want to be the best at something. You don't want to be someone's third choice. So when you think of Lily, you think of color and you think of print and, you know, they spend all of their time on that and perfecting that classic shift dress. And I spent so much time kind of zeroed in on that so that when I created Jane Winchester, I had always loved coin jewelry. I spent a lot of time in Italy as a kid and, you know, you, those fabulous jewelry stores that as you're walking through the chic you know, little cobblestone streets of Capri and you see, you know, the coin jewelry that's 
you know, got so much history to it. I love too that it was double sided and I could design things on that I had more design space. Mm -hmm. So, and so now I know when people come, I, I haven't even made bracelets yet. Like I have, I have very few earrings. Like we make coin necklaces and eventually we'll expand coin jewelry into rings and bracelets. But like you just want to be the best at one thing and then you can build around it. And I think from a design perspective, that focus has really helped me. Well, that is fantastic advice. So thank you so much for that. You mentioned a little bit about this, but let us know if there's anything else to add. So after you came up with the idea that maybe you wanted to start this company, that it would be jewelry, and that you would name it after it would be eponymous, how did you go about starting the company and growing? We like to give our audience actionable tips and stuff. Oh my gosh. Okay, well, I started with a business plan for sure, and I, I just could not recommend, don't start a business without forcing yourself to write a business plan. I know it sounds really boring and probably, I mean, if you're really into design, it sounds like something you wouldn't even know where to start. Mm -hmm. But I literally Googled, I mean, I'd written business plans at Lilly, but I Googled, what do you need to ask yourself to write a business plan? And I simplified it into eight questions that I answered. Um, and still to this day, we reference that original business plan. So doing that to me is the absolute must first step. And we organize our company under three pillars, product, what we're going to make and where we're going to make it, distribution, how we're going to get it to the customer and marketing, how are we going to market the brand to new people. So I kind of went through each one of the pillars and, you know, starting with product, jewelry has always appealed to me and I've seen this throughout my career. It's something that you can make in the United States and not all product is. And I think because of my history and making a lot of product overseas and feeling like I didn't want to overcommit to making too much at once, I did a lot of research to find someone that could make the product here. And I think that goes to your question of scaling within your comfort zone and making sure that you're not biting off more you than you can chew as you, you know, build your brand day by day. So making it here in the United States and then jewelry is a high margin business, focusing on your margin is everything. And maybe that sounds so obvious, but being very educated on the product that you're making, how much it costs and how much you plan on selling it for is like the building block number one for your company. And so getting very clear on that so that you can see how the business will be profitable. I mean, if that's important to you, some people just want to scale a big business and then sell it. For me, profitability was important, you know, very early on. So I would say just to kind of synthesize that answer, the steps that people can take are start with something that they believe in, that they know that they can be profitable in and knowing how they're going to make it so that it is profitable. That's that great advice. 
And I think that profitability is very important and something that in all the data and numbers and VC venture capital, we kind of got away from that and all of these companies, it's fascinating to me how, you know, you think that it's this huge company, Uber or Seamless or whatever, and they've never even made a profit. I mean, that just seems insane how they got away <laughs> with all of that. That's obviously messed up. So focusing on profitability mm -hmm. is very important. And I think that we are getting back to that, but it's not obvious, which is really interesting. So I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Like, I didn't know that either. I thought, you know, they just must be, quote unquote, making so much money. And now, but there are a few ways to skin a cat. You can build a big brand and sell it. And that is how you get your payday from that. For me, that wasn't what I wanted to do. I find I get immense pride in running a business that is profitable. And that was a goal of mine very early on, but it's not everybody's. But I do think the key in that is deciding which you want to be. Yeah, that makes sense. Definitely. Do you want to build it really big and sell it for a lot of money? Or do you want to stay with it? It's your baby and you want to see it through. Yeah, exactly. Where do you get your inspiration for the coins? And how did you choose the... Oh, those words. So I started with the words. I, you know, I sketch and draw. I try to every single day. Um, and I started with the words because I knew that I wanted to create a brand, a brand that people connected with because jewelry to me has always been that kind of thing where, you know, I got a bracelet from my grandparents when I graduated from high school and I, I might not wear it every day, but every once in a while I do and I know it's exactly what that moment was that it came from. Mm -hmm. um, and actually speaking of bracelets, my dad, I never could figure out my left from right. <laughs> so he from Tiffany's a gold bracelet and it had left engraved on it. Oh, cute. So I, I've always known that jewelry holds special meaning. So kind of before designing the pieces, I thought, what are these moments that I want people to celebrate with my jewelry? Mm -hmm. So started with the words love was easy. I think honestly protect came next. Um, free, I had gotten divorced and wanted people to be very comfortable with feeling free and not scared. Um, forever, which is our most popular and finding direction was another thing that I had experienced. Peace is designed if you've lost someone or something important to you that you have peace and you wear that coin to remember the person. So the words came first. And then once I wrote what the meaning was for each of those, the designs came very naturally. So forever, the first words on the card are forever find your way home to me. And so the compass was so natural. Um, for, for love, I was in Capri actually with the whole family having just the best, most wonderful time. And I was in this house that we had, that we were staying in and the design, the quatrefoil was on the gate. And mm -hmm. so I was drawing that and put the heart, in, like it all came from real moments that are tied closely with those words. Mm, that's wonderful. That's great. It's wonderful. 
So the next question is a big one too, and a lot of people are trying to you know, navigating this as it comes. But how how have you all had to pivot? Well, obviously you said you were you went into the office and where you were boxing up the the yeah. itself. So I mean, I think it came and it continues to iterate. So at first, you know, we had just moved the business into our showroom, which is so chic. I'll send you'll your you pictures you'll love it this cool butterfly wallpaper and i just i loved our showroom so much 2 weeks later our first employee started and 2 weeks later covid hit and we had to close the office and i thought this is the end i actually for like 2 days mourned the loss of the business i thought well nobody it was the most it was the scariest time you just didn't know and then the orders started coming in and they started coming in, you know, at a rate that was quadruple what we had seen before. So we were just, we just, I, I could not get over how many orders were coming in every day, which was so exciting, but I was the only one that could go into the office. So I'm picking and packing every single order. So it went from kind of like, oh my gosh, this is the end. What I've built is now going to be stalled to oh my gosh, this is the most exciting thing ever. People are finding meaning in our pieces and connecting with them during this unsure time. Now I've got to actually get them all out the door. And then all of our factories closed. So I mean, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. So our biggest factory in New York closed and I I just, I'm a scrapper and I thought I have to, every day I have to find a way to make this product that people want so badly. So I knew that the factories in Rhode Island hadn't closed. We do make a lot of things in Rhode Island and played our pieces in Rhode Island. So I started talking to some of the people that I knew there, moved production there quickly, and literally just kind of fought every day to keep it so that I could get the product out to people. Um, and so I think, what I've learned is where there is a will, there is a way. Um, and we just were relentless in figuring out how to continue to produce the product. And I mean, when I first started Jane Winchester, you know, you hear no a million times. You hear sure. the influencer doesn't want to work with you or the store doesn't want you or blah, 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 blah. And we had kind of gotten over a lot of, not all of those humps, we were hearing more yeses than noes. And all of a sudden I felt like I was back in that place where, oh, the chain factory closer, the stones, we can't get the stones here. You have to get them here. And every little bit of the, you know, that the process was congested, but we just, I just worked every single day at every step of the process to keep it going. And then we still sold out and, the next transi transition from kind of working on, you know, dealing with the factories closing was helping our customers that, again, those numbers had quadrupled. And I answer every single email that comes into customer service because it's so important to me that we maintain a high level of service and a relationship with our customers. So, that's just not something I'm willing to outsource right now. So, so much of my time, then, you know, I had someone working on production that we had figured that out and I shifted to really holding the hand of our customers 
as she wanted things immediately in May, we had graduations and Mother's Day and birthdays and they needed the product. And so, you know, if they need a daily update to feel better that they were going to get it on time, I sent it to them. So it went to like a high communication mode so that, you know, we could keep people close during an unsettling time. And we're still pretty much there. I think that's great. And, and what I'm hearing you say, and I believe it myself, is that if you are going to create a business, you have to be willing to do what it takes. You have, my mother had said, um, when Allison wants something, she'll find a way to make it happen. So I think you have to have that attitude, you know, and not, you know, not feel like you're a victim when you have to be the one to go in and pack every box and you have to be the one driving back and forth to Rhode Island or whatever it takes to make it, you know, to make it happen. It, it really, I feel like, builds the character of the brand. Uh, uh, and and that integrity there, I'm very you know proud of that hard work. You can't help other people until you've helped yourself. So and yeah. also you do have this wonderful family and and you were talking about just getting to be at the lake and you know it's like people have said to me this year, you know we haven't had a spring in a while. And I'm like mm. we, we have had many springs, we just haven't been looking. So, you know, you're actually, you know, like you said, even a peanut butter and jelly sandwich at the lake just tastes wonderful on a picnic. You know, that's what yeah. life is all about. Mm -hmm. I know there are so many silver linings to what we're going through right now. So many terrible things, but also a lot of silver linings as well. Right. Walk us through the process of designing your jewelry. So what are the lead times? Oh, well, that's the fun part is that they are not long. So I have a sketchbook. Rachel, my brand coordinator, has a sketchbook we're drawing all the time. Um, so let's say, for instance, we're doing a custom coin for someone, which is one of my favorite things to do. So I'll talk to them about what they want in their coin. And usually we start with a word because that goes on the back with our crescent and star. And on the front is whatever brings that word to life and I'll sketch you know six to ten options and share that with them we'll zero in on two or three you know that doesn't take longer than a week and then I work with our CAD designer who turns it into a 3D CAD design and you know obviously work with the customer back and forth or if it's just for the line I tweak those CADs and then the coolest part happens is we print it on a 3D printer in wax. So I see that coin come to life the second we have the CAD done. And it's in wax and it's delicate and it looks a little funky because there are you know, printer marks on it. But I have a 3D version of it to scale of exactly what we will make. And then I usually make our first sample before I make a mold straight from that wax. So then we'll make one piece in silver and have it plated in 14 karat gold. And that can take, I mean, it can all happen in two weeks. Wow. Isn't that cool? And then if we decide we love it, then I'll make a mold so that we can produce multiple, like really get into production. But the fun thing about doing custom pieces and just our development in general is that it doesn't take a long time and you can get like real visuals along the way. So from my sketch to 
a CAD 3D rendering, you can really see what it's going to look like. And then you have this cool wax printout of what it will look like. So there aren't a ton of surprises. Right. That's very cool. And then what about inventory versus made to order? Oh, gosh, that's such a great question. So I do not like to carry a lot of inventory. I, we, and again, I think that kind of goes back to what we were chatting with before. That's one of the reasons why I make product here and jewelry isn't something that has high minimums. I can make just one at a time if I'd like. And that's been a big transition over these last few months because the demand for the product went up so quickly that I was so used to being very comfortable running 25 of a piece or 50 or 100, but now all of a sudden, I have to double that and quadruple that in my mind for our best sellers. For instance, we just went on the Goop website, which has been so fabulous, and they're just sending us orders every single day. And so we just need more. So um, part of my growth has gotten is to get comfortable with that those bigger production runs because jewelry is so comforting in, the, in that you don't have to go there. You can produce, you know, one to three at a time. Um, but then I learned the worst is to be out of things because customers want them so badly. So finding that balance of whenever we launch a new product, we do not make a lot of them. So we test it and then we'll do a larger run. So I'm really into that like crawl, walk, run in terms of production, but I got to get a little faster at running. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, congratulations on Goop. That's so exciting. Yeah, that has been, I mean, just such a spectacular platform for us. I feel like the buyer really gets what we're all about. The site is obviously so, so cool. And um, they have so many eyes on their brand. So to be on their site feels like you know, we made it. <laughs> right. Sure. Yes. Sure. And I'm sure after your first experience with the tote bags, that that <laughs> has uh, made you more reticent to, to order all these different pieces and everything. So you have a valid reason for being trepidatious, but it sounds like you are going to have to <laughs> spread your wings a little bit since you're yeah. so popular. Exactly. All right. So what was important to you when you were setting the price point? Mm, such a great question. Um, you know, I love dresses and this might just stay with me for a second. I just thought I wear a dress every single day and I love to buy, you know, feminine chic dresses. I know the brands that I love are in the space of, you know, some in the 200s, but more in the 300 to 500 space. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, what is the appropriate price point for that woman who loves these brands like Ula Johnson and Misa and Diane von Furstenberg and Tucker? Though that she, when she's wearing that every single day and she's used to spending that price point, what is the piece of jewelry that goes that sits in the store with those brands? So that was one train of thought. Mm -hmm. The other was honestly building up from the cost of a high quality piece, hand finished in the United States, made out of sterling silver, plated in 14 karat, 
where does that naturally put you? So those kind of two things together, like what does the customer expect? And from a quality perspective, what do we need to charge? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And I really, so when I launched though, I launched the necklaces at 328 and I brought the price down after our launch event because some of my chicest friends were like, oh, feels like a tiny bit too expensive. So we brought it down to 278 and 298 for, depending on the chain for our most popular coins. And then, and that has just been a great fit. That is for a woman buying for herself. And then I learned when she's buying a gift, either if it's 10 or 14 karat gold, there's a certain price point that she wants to spend, which is more like 398 to 498 for a special piece. Or a gift that's plated, you know, for the holidays that's just, you know, a beautifully wrapped present under the tree that is being gifted with a lot of other things. At 228 is a great price point for that gift. So we kind of ended up with three buckets of entry, gifting, and for the younger girls of 228, women entering the brand and buying for themselves, 278 to 298, and then 10 and 14 karat pieces to mark a milestone event like graduation or Mother's Day at 398 to 498. It's a great price point, accessible, which is really lovely. And another positive about accessories is that there is no size. So mm -hmm. that is something that is very inclusive from the get-go. Yes, no size and they're small. So I know that sounds silly, but coming from when I had made bags, tennis racket covers and weekenders were just giant. And <laughs> so... A small item that goes in a, a beautiful printed box that we can ship ourselves that we don't have to go to a giant distribution center and pay them right. for all of that space that's one size and can be made in the United States and is high margin I mean after this podcast everyone might go into jewelry <laughs> <laughs> I know well we have received the packages and it is absolutely beautiful packaging you can tell that every detail has been thought out and it was packed with love so you're doing a great job good good <laughs> and then how did you know how to design jewelry because you did not go to school for it so did you learn at Lily yep I learned at Lily and it really started with um, hardware for bags and hardware for shoes. So when I started the, the, the handbag line, I spent so much time on the zipper pulls and then creating these, you know, 3D cast critters that would be on the bags in gold um, and then on the shoes, the buckles. And so I spent a lot of time on the hardware that was being applied to the accessories. And I really did that at Lily first and then started designing jewelry that went along with that. Um, but honestly, when I started the company, I mean, I had designed some jewelry, but not a lot. I'm still learning every single day. <laughs> <laughs> well, the pieces are absolutely gorgeous. They really are. They're really eye-catching, too. Mm -hmm. How do you balance family and work life since you said you have five kids? 
I know. Well, luckily, so we're a blended family, which right. is amazing and complicated. Right. Um, and I started Jane Winchester when my youngest was going into eighth grade. She's she's about to, nine, ten. Yeah, she's going to be a junior next year. And I just, I had worked corporately for Lily for twelve years since she was three, and. I traveled a lot and I gave up a lot of time and I was very lucky to have a lot of help at home in people that lived in and helped. And I kind of realized as she was going into eighth grade that I did not want to miss, that I didn't want to miss it. That I, and so I'm, I think when you're first starting a business, it takes a lot of work, but you also were still in the beginning phase. So you have a little bit more time. So, and you can choose how you spend your time. So it was very intentional for me to be there for her more, both physically, but also mentally. When I was working as a senior vice president, my brain was on that job pretty much all the time. So the focus in starting Jane Winchester was very determined in, I had never driven her to school every day. And so I drove her to school and picked her up and that was just heaven. And when I was in the car and with her, I was with her as opposed to honestly texting and driving off the road, trying to do something in an office that I wasn't in at that moment. I really had to shift kind of where my brain and focus was along with where I was physically. So at first that was, you know, a driving force in what I did. And now I really carry that with me. So we have two, one out of college, one that's going to be a junior, two that are supposed to be freshmen in college, and then I'll have my one left at home. And I feel like these last two years, I have really been there with them a lot more. And I'm just going to keep that up. And I think it really comes down to like the mental timeshare that you have, that when you're there, you're there. Um, and that's how I balance it, really making sure that I'm not there, but thinking about something else. Yes, that's hard to do, but that's great because imagine if she graduated and you thought, you know, I never drove her to school. Oh my God. I just could never take that back. Like, so, and the other fun thing is that all of the kids have helped with Jane Winchester. So they were at an age where, so my daughter, Sabrina, makes deliveries for us and reads and edits all of our blogs because she's fabulous and writing in English. Drew, my stepson, makes all of our displays and they're fabulous. He's a woodworker. And so he contributes in that way. Tiki, the youngest, does a lot of the modeling for us. They, oh, Naomi, my stepdaughter, just designed our new packaging print. She's an artist. So we're all engaged. And it's funny, yesterday we were shopping. It was a rainy day. And I took the girls shopping and I said, this, we're doing this and I'm buying you all these fun things because we're all building a successful business together. And, you know, I pay them when they work for Jane Winchester, but it was also fun to just kind of remind them that their hard work is helping and they're contributing to the company. 
they really are. And um, so that was, that was kind of fun. That's awesome. Very special. This is something that I talk to my consulting clients about is making sure that they have a mission for the company. So there are millions of brands that exist on this earth today. And so it could be easy to just say, oh, I think I'll start a jewelry brand. But if you really have a thoughtful mission about why this brand should exist, I think that is going to be really helpful. So my next question is, what is the mission for your company? And that was where we started. So started with, and it was funny, at first I was a run-on sentence and now I'm able to kind of pack it into what I call the elevator pitch. Yes. You know, we create coin, jewelry, and charms with meaning that connect with the wearer. Very simple. And so coin, jewelry, and charms with meaning behind them that connect with the person wearing them. That's kind of how it all gets synthesized. Um, but at first, I, I think it, I, it took me a lot, it took me at least a year to be able to say it that simply. Oh, sure. Oh, yes. Oh, it took yeah. us two years to, yeah. I mean, keep tweaking it, and then we would meet people and talk to them about it, and they would say, you know, no, that you're not there yet, and they would push us to, <laughs> so we kept fine-tuning it and hopefully we can. we're like there's just so much to say <laughs> well we don't have all day so you have to become oh, more concise um okay so what about the the core values for the company well that was what i did next and <laughs> um and it's funny at lily i was trained i would not have thought of that before but at Lily Pulitzer, they held the core values in such high regard. It was something that everybody was well-versed in. And so when I started Jane Winchester, I did the same thing. I wrote a few, not too many core values that I really hold up. When there's a crossroads in the company, I take that question to our core values. And it's, they're very simple in that, you know, one, we want to make product that we're proud to give as a gift to a loved one. You know, you don't ever want to skimp on that. And during this time of COVID, as we've had to move factories, I have rejected lots of product that I really needed to get to customers because it didn't stand up to our core values of, you know, creating something that we were proud of. So I think spent each brand spending time and writing, it does not need to be a million, but three, four, five core values that you can bring back, that you bring with you. And they can change as the company changes and evolves. Like I think at first our third core value was to only make product in the United States. And I realized that that wasn't always going to be possible. And as we've started to work with more 10 and 14 carat, and I've moved some production to Turkey, that I can actually take the core values of the company, which are to be a great business to do business with, and make sure I'm finding like companies in other countries. It doesn't have to be exclusively here, but I would like it to be 90% here. Um, but that, that come, I can find other companies that have values that are similar to ours. Mm -hmm. 
exactly, which is so important when choosing people to work with. And it's also important, everything that you do needs to be through that lens of either the mission, your core values, all of that, so that you don't fall astray, which is exactly. very easy to do. Let's talk now about some challenges that you faced, and not only that, but how did you overcome them? Oh, that's another great question. I think the biggest challenge, and I'm getting so much better at this, was learning that building a brand and well, building a company has been more of a mental game for me than anything else. That, um, you know, I really got defeated at first. I was used to working for a company, you know, multi million hundreds of millions of dollars in sales and i was used to spending a budget of millions of dollars on marketing or product development and i was also used to doors being opened because of right. relationships that the company had or the dollars that they were spending so all of a sudden i went from kind of working with uh, hundreds of fabulous women every day and loving what I did and working with a big budget to being by myself and having no budget and no doors open, I had to go bang them all down. So that got to me. It was, that part was much, much harder than I anticipated. And I think the way that I overcame it was I realized that the no's are a part, if you're not being told no enough, then you're not aiming, you're not shooting for enough. Mm -hmm. So that the no, like understanding that the no's were a part of building the brand, not, you know, a shutdown, mm -hmm. um, really helped me rationalize every single day. Um, so that was the challenge. That was one way I dealt with it. The other was, you know, I think as ambitious women, we forget to celebrate the victories. So I think Goop said no to me for a full year before they said yes. And then once they said yes, I was like, okay, great, moving on now, what's next? Right. You know, thinking to take a moment to, to celebrate that and then find the next milestone that you wanna tackle. Sure. That's great advice. That makes me think about, um, Vera Wine said the same thing. When she left, um, was it Calvin Klein? When she left, I think she was with Calvin Klein and she left to start Vera Wine and all of a sudden nobody would meet with her. Nobody was interested in. I think it was Ralph maybe. Maybe it was, whatever it was. But anyway, I thought that was very interesting too. So, right. you know, it's, it's really difficult, but you both obviously overcame that. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's, I think that our audience would think it was interesting to learn a little bit more about the Lily Roll, the life of a creative director, choosing the prints and the colors, and people probably don't even really understand about print design, maybe. Oh my gosh, it was so fun. So, and this is how it started. So, I was an accessory designer, and I saw this group of artists. So remember, I was an art history major. I'm an artist myself. But I saw this group that sat kind of across the office from me that was painting every day, painting and drawing. 
And I just thought, what is this magic? You know, that I have been at other companies and I know how fashion works and most people buy their prints and very few have in-house artists that are creating. Of course, brands spend on in-house designers to create original works, but they buy the print. Lily put color and print first. So I, I saw that and I just, I don't think anyone was more excited about it than I was. And honestly, the CEO and president recognized that in me, that I was the most excited about the original artwork. And, and so it was that love of print, which I think Lily herself, who I knew, also felt like just complete joy in making these colorful prints. That's what made me the right leader for that team. So I was not drawing prints there. I was inspiring them to create prints within each season. So I would work on the color story and then develop a theme for each season and you know, put really fun words to it. Again, I think that's where like my marketing brain really came in. We talked to the customer later when the product hit the floor about, you know, how we were inspired to create a specific print and where we traveled in Palm Beach and that we ended up dancing on the tables at this bar called Cucina that everybody loves. You know, we painted that picture for them, but it's because it came from a reality. We really did it. Um, so that was one of my favorite jobs of all time. Um, and every day that team was creating original artwork that would just knock your socks off. And in this print studio, um, we had, you know, these giant walls that were literally covered in these wild prints. And sometimes I got in trouble with, you know, various people because I just wanted too many and I wanted crazy prints with things hidden in them. And one of my favorites was the reinventing the streaker print. Lily had done a print of naked people running and I wanted to recreate that. And nobody thought it would sell and it ended up being, you know, a bestseller and something that they've brought back. So I think I adored like just the natural creativity of it. And the fact that you could tell a story with those prints, there's so much in there that you see and that you don't see. Yeah. So I just, it was really fun. And I think that company is so unique and continues that tradition of, you know, adoring print and putting it first is there, you know, the mm -hmm. competitive advantage for them. Oh my goodness. And that is a great reminder to trust your gut. <laughs> about the streaker print. And then since I worked at Barney's for four years, that's where I started my career and it is and was very near and dear to my heart. Any stories from the Barney's days that you wanna share? Oh my gosh, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Barney's was a big adventure for me. So I, you know, I didn't know what high true fashion really was until I got there. I, and so they taught me all of that, but there was an irreverence that came. So Simon Doonan was the head of the department. He was, he's a very famous window dresser. Um, his boyfriend is Jonathan Adler and, you know, his sense of humor brought those windows and they brought what they brought like 
a fire to the seriousness, quote unquote, of fashion that was the magic of Barney's to me. Now, we would do things that nobody else would do. So I remember after the, the Grammy Awards were in New York and we held the event at the Barney's store. So that we closed the store at the normal time. Um, Suzanne Barsh who, and Richie Rich, who were like the coolest club kids, came and we had built a stage through the center of the store and they were roller skating down the center. <laughs> I worked all night. I brought Aretha Franklin drinks. I, you know, and then the event ended at three in the morning and we still had to open. And so I spent all night, I just remember at around five in the morning, I was delirious and I was putting back the NARS um, <laughs> back onto the shelves and seeing double. And like, I just had never thought that we could do something so big and have it be so irreverent and wild. And then the next day you walked in and you would have never known that it even happened. It was just, it was just wild. I love that. I love that. I love roller skating. How can you find, I feel like you have done this, but how, how can you find positives in a negative situation? So you had mentioned that you went through a divorce. Mm, oh my gosh. Well, you know, I'm a very positive person. I was born that way. So I usually see the sunny side of things. I will say getting divorced was the hardest thing that ever happened to me and I didn't see it coming. And so it was just devastating for me. But but now I can say I'm remarried and I have the happiest marriage and life. So I would say when things are really derailed, the faith that it will get better. Right. You know, when things go wrong now, I don't see it as a pile of things going wrong. I see it as a moment in time where something is not going right, but the next day is another day. And I think that that's the glass half full mentality. And I, I had a great quote that I used on my Instagram that your glass is refillable. And so sometimes it may feel half empty, but go, go make it, go change it. And, you know, hard work can change the outcome. Um, whether it be from a personal experience like divorce, you know, building yourself up during that time or having a tough time with a business, then spending the time and energy to build it back up. I just think that the work brings the positive. I think that's great advice for everybody. I really do. And I think um, what's going on with COVID and everything, we have to remember that too. Like there, this will come to an end one day. I'm with you. I do think I am really sensitive right now. It feels like a, an overwhelming amount for so many people. And I think giving ourselves breaks in that, like, so I'm such a positive person and I pride myself on being positive, but I'm also tired of dealing with it every day and saying it's okay not to like beat yourself up mm -hmm. that you're bummed out by it, that kind of saying like, it's okay. This is a lot for everybody. And and also kind of, I'm trying to show people that I'm smiling behind my mask. Like I want to put positive energy out when I see other people understanding that we're all dealing with this weight. It's not about me. It is about a, a, all of us, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. 
Jaya has said that a lot too. She did a lot during COVID while she was in New York. You know, part of her raison d'etre was to pump people up and cheer them up and say, you know, we're going to get through this and I'm alone too, but we're all alone together and everything. And then sometimes she had to say, okay, you know, now I'm, now I'm sad, you know, this yeah. is tough, but I'll, you know, acknowledge it, accept it, you know, give yourself the hugs and the time that you need. And, um, you know, and then you can go on. There's going to be those days, you know? Yeah. So, and I think probably for you as a mom, knowing how much we carry for our kids, right. that is just, that has been so overwhelming to all I want to do is make it better for them <laughs> but it's really out of our control so we can do little things and help them kind of gain some perspective even though we don't know what the end is gonna look like um, but we can still kind of have perspective in our everyday that's exactly right exactly right you have given a ton of great advice on this, but if there's anything that you have to add, what advice would you give to someone who wants to start their own brand? Oh my gosh. Well, again, I would say start with the business plan. I just, and I say this over and over, and I think the reason why is because people don't listen. You know, you have to have a roadmap so that you know if you're doing the right, if you're, if you're moving in the right direction. So even if it's not a complete business plan, a roadmap for what success looks like, what are just a few goals setting goal setting, I guess would yeah. be just forcing yourself to kind of say, I want to get to this point as opposed to a meandering road, that focus on the goal will help. I mean, will move you forward. So along with the business plan, which should have a lot of goals in it, if you don't have that, set some goals. <laughs> yeah, that, that's great advice. Because I think people can get lost along the way. But when new opportunities come up, you have to be willing to pivot a little bit, um, you know, but at the same time, check back in with your goals and your big business plan, you know, does this go along with our overall mission and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and we set goals every day. So I'm working with our intern on, you know, a survey that we're doing with different tiers of our customers. And I said, so what's our goal for this? If What will success look like if, how many people do we want to answer? 40%, 10%, 1%? How will we know if we've done a great job at this? And, you know, what answer do we want to get from this survey that will help us make the brand better without making yourself write down those things then you can go do the survey and she doesn't know if she's done a good job except for me saying great job and you know there's I just think there's forcing yourself even in the little day-to-day -day, you know what does success look like for a single product launch is it a hundred orders or ten orders if I reach my goal what does that mean then for the next step do I then does my production get a lot bigger? Does it get, you know, a group of products that goes along with that word or that coin? It really helps you kind of take the next step and not chase things that are losers. Right. right. Oh my gosh. It's so important to have something to measure again. Yeah. Definitely. Well, what's coming next for Jenny Winchester? Well, so... <laughs> 
You know, the eight original coins are everything for us. The strong coin is has not been a great seller. It has an anchor on one side and the word strong on the other. But the word strong is so important to us all right now. So we have a relaunch of our strong coin coming up with a new design because I think a focus on that word um, is important. So that's a big one. I think, you know, I have been, you know, really affected by the realization around the Black Lives Matter movement. So we're putting things into place. We have two fabulous programs coming up to help support black owned businesses and specifically female owned. So um, one is a line of candles that we'll be launching um, with a cool black owned um, candle company in North Carolina that will be coming in the holidays. And we're making a small collection in Kenya with um, some artisans there. So those are, I mean, I'm so excited about those things. They feel so big and it wouldn't have the strong coin redesign and kind of this focus to make sure that, you know, we're changing how we function every day as a result of the Black Lives Matter movement. I, I wouldn't have done those things. And I mean, in addition, we have other Fabulous. We have, we are going to launch a few bracelets coming up. We've got some destination coins. So you'll see a coin for Bermuda, Charleston, Nantucket coming up. Um, That is so, 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 so cool. It's fascinating to think a year ago, if someone had asked you about doing jewelry with someone in Kenya, you would have thought, well, that'd be interesting, but that's not our plan. And all of a sudden you're doing it. The amount of change in kind of how we're planning on launching things and functioning based on what has happened over the past three months. You know, before I would have said, well, we've got alphabets, like letters coming out that we're doing in charms that you can like, great, that's fabulous. But the kind of like, I don't know, emotion and realness that's behind the strong coin, the product in Kenya and the candles, like, gosh, I mean, first step of many, but um, really proud of those, and I can't wait to bring them to market. Oh my goodness! Where can people find you? Well, JaneWinchester.com. We're sold mostly online. Um, we are in some small boutiques, so you can always email us at customercare at JaneWinchester.com to find out if there's a boutique near you. And then all of our, I would say, six of our core coins are on Goop.com. Okay. Oh, well, it, we are so excited that we have gotten to know you and meet you. We have so many similarities between all of our lives and you are such a delight and font of knowledge and we love your brand. So we encourage everyone to check it out. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending this much time with me. It really, it's so helpful for a small brand like me for you to share your audience. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Well, we wanted them to know all about you. So it's a win-win situation. Yeah. Yay. Okay. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. -bye. If you like what you heard, 
tell a friend about our show, subscribe to our podcast, and also scroll to the bottom and give a rating and or a review. Those are the best ways for other people to find out about our podcast. See you next time. Bye.